Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson, and today I have a very special guest. In 2005, our guest was named one of the 100 most influential people in ufology by Fate magazine. He's been researching and investigating the anomalous since 1959, sorry, and has lectured all over the country on various topics such as Bigfoot, UFOs, cryptids, and other kinds of strange phenomenon. He's been featured on various TV programs over the years, including Unsolved Mysteries, Sightings. He's been featured on the Close Encounter series on the Science Channel, uh, among many others. And he's written four books, the latest of which, Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, was released on March 2nd, 2022. Stan Gordon joins us today. Stan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you're a busy guy this month, so thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for having me on this evening. So, uh, first and foremost, you you've been investigating this topic, these topics for over sixty years. By this point, you know you've been taking phone calls and reports since nineteen sixty nine. So, first and foremost, what was it that drew your interest to this topic, and you know, sent you on this course of investigation for over sixty years? Well, uh, that goes back a long time ago. I was a ten year old kid. I um, was interested in electronics and shortwave radio and uh, nature and science, and I happened one evening to be tuning across my AM radio, happened to hear a radio show talk about unusual uh, events, uh, haunted houses, flying saucers, strange creatures, and I was a curious kid, and I wanted to know if these people were telling the truth. So I began to go to my uh, local Greensboro library and started reading everything they had on the topic started cutting articles out of the newspaper. I was uh, 16 years old in 1965 when the incident happened near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, about 12 miles from where I live. I started documenting that case that was breaking on the news uh, that evening, and um, I've been out in the field ever since, investigating cases. Um, 1969, uh, well, I should tell you this, in the late 60s, I got involved with a, a small research group in Pittsburgh. It was uh, mainly some uh, high-end uh, uh, research people like from Westinghouse and uh, other professionals, and that's where Stanton Friedman started in that small group in Pittsburgh. And um, I was the kid of the group, as I remember, but I already had a lot of experience interviewing witnesses, so I became a telephone sighting coordinator. So when a reporter would come in, I would do the initial interview and decide uh, there was enough information that it required further investigation. They closed down their operation, and um, in 1969, decided to set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings, and as word got out, the phone on my home was ringing off the hook day and night, and I couldn't do it all on my own, so I decided to try to organize a research group, and in 1970, I found the first of three research groups that would investigate incidents of Pennsylvania for many, many years. Uh, the groups were kind of unique in that most people involved were specialists. We had 
of scientists and engineers and technicians and police officers, former military people, and a lot of specialists who volunteered their time to investigate these cases. And uh, for many, many years, I had that, that groups involved, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. And I've interviewed thousands of UFO witnesses and hundreds of Bigfoot encrypted witnesses. And I can tell you, even in recent months and recent days, there's a lot of activity going on here in Pennsylvania. I, I've been fascinated with your work for a long time, uh, I, particularly in, in some of the stuff that I want to get into today. Uh, the 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 cryptid activity linked with kind of the the UFO activity and like all of these areas converge. What kind of relationship did you have with uh, like with your study groups back in the day, like the Westmoreland County UFO study group and such? What kind of relationship did you have with, like, say, local law enforcement? Because it seemed like uh, just through the reading, you guys like would get tips from, you know, police departments and such on that. So what was your relationship like with local police departments? Well, I think as time went on and, and of course, 1970 is when I found the first group by 1973. We had extended the group to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania. And uh, a lot of the media had been covering uh, the kind of research we were doing. People began to know about what was involved and the kind of people involved in it. And uh, by 1973, we were actually surprised because we began to get a lot of referrals from the news media across the state, from law enforcement. Uh, and, yeah, we were getting lots of reports. And then that massive UFO wave started in 1973. And, I mean, it was the, the biggest UFO wave ever documented. It went on all year long with hundreds of UFO reports coming in. And back in those days, you got to remember, that was 1973. There wasn't any uh, cell phones. Uh, Internet wasn't nothing even close to what it is today. It was, and uh, so communication was different. But a lot of the newspapers were covering the stories. The local papers, the state papers, sometimes the national news were picking up a lot of these sighting reports. And some of our investigations were going on. And that in itself was amazing, because a lot of those sightings were not just lights in the sky. I mean, a lot of these were large structured objects low the ground, uh, significant cases hovering over highways, pacing vehicles. There were landing reports, incidents on the turnpike. I mean, it was just amazing, just UFO cases alone we were dealing with. And then in the summer of 1973, we had the largest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented, and that went on until 1974. And every year since then, we've had Bigfoot sightings in Pennsylvania, including this year. But that was an amazing time to live through, let me tell you. And uh, my teams, again, we all had full-time jobs, but I had to set up where we could respond to cases uh, as best we could 24 hours a day. But we did many, many cases. Uh, as these incidents were unfolding, either myself or teams were on the site of many of these cases within minutes to hours after they occurred. And that's why we were able to document these cases so thoroughly. And um, they have all these Bigfoot reports coming in, and many of them were in daylight. Many of them were at very close range. Sometimes there were, there's more than one creature seen together. Um, and a number of instances, there was physical evidence at the scene, some which was kind of unusual, I'll tell you about. But, um, yeah, it, it was an amazing time. And, you know, I had been investigating Bigfoot in Pennsylvania since the 1960s. Been a lot of history of sightings in Pennsylvania. I was always of the opinion back in those days that Bigfoot was probably an unknown animal, some type of unknown species that science had never confirmed. As these cases are, are occurring in 1973, some odd things came to our attention. One of the first things that became apparent was 
we got to some of these locations, you see these long trail footprints, large tracks of big strides between them under all type of ground conditions, including later in the winter uh, in the snow. And you follow these tracks, and in some cases, they would just abruptly just stop and end. And there, was, there should have been more tracks. There was no way you could have fabricated it under the conditions we found it. And that was one of the first things that showed up. And then people were very reluctant to even tell us about a lot of things they were experiencing. But one of the things that people began to tell us was that in daylight, they're seeing a Bigfoot not far away from them. And suddenly that creature physically vanishes and disappears and reappears a short distance away somewhere else. And then you began to see that, that pattern. You'd have a UFO sighting in a certain area. Within minutes to hours or days later, you have a Bigfoot sighting or vice versa. And then we had some of those amazing incidents with Bigfoot and UFOs seen together at the same time and place. And, and as we talk about some of these cases, what, what I'm trying to get across is I am not suggesting that whatever we're dealing with is extraterrestrial, that Bigfoot was coming out of the UFO, was a pilot of a UFO, a passenger from another planet. But whatever we're dealing with now, and I've learned a lot more, more about this, and I surely don't have the answers to what's going on. I don't think anybody understands it or knows what's going on. There's a physical and a non-physical component to it. For a lack of a better term, I'll say it's interdimensional, which is why there's no bodies. And we can get into some of those cases as well. Absolutely. And I, I've talked about this case a couple times on the podcast, uh, and it's one that you know you were involved in firsthand. Uh I believe it's dubbed the Fayette County case. And I know uh, the son of the witness actually reached out to me a couple of years ago because I did a short episode on it and um, talked briefly. But um, can you just like give us an accounting of that? Like what was what are your memories of that night? Because we're coming up on the 49th anniversary of that incident uh, that it occurred on October 25th. So what what are your memories of that night going out there and, and investigating that case? Uh, it, it's a long, long story. And, and I'll give you the brief summary of mm -hmm. it. And yeah, it's a case I'll never forget. I remember the night very well. Um, it's October 25th, 73, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, Anyhow, there was been a lot of reports come in on my hotline from across the state for that 24-hour period. It was uh, about 10.30 that night that I received a call from a state trooper from the Uniontown Barracks of Fayette County, which, by the way, is one of the most active areas in the country, especially along that Chestnut Ridge area, year after year, including in recent weeks here in Pennsylvania. And um, I got a call from the state trooper. He uh, sounded a little, a little upset. He had just came back from investigating this multiple witness uh, UFO incident, and he indicated to me that he thought there was a possibility that there was uh, possibly something still up in the pasture. He wanted to see if, he, if I could get a team up there as soon as possible. It's already late at night, but we did. We, we got our team together. We got our radiation survey meters. We got our radios and other equipment and found our way up to Fayette County. We got there in early morning hours, stayed, stayed there most of the night. Um, Anyhow, we found out that around 9 o'clock that night, there were about 15 people in that rural area that observed that large kind of barn-sized red ball about 100 feet off the ground, kind of hovering and slowly starting to move downward. And um, the, the farmer's son was coming down a uh, vehicle. Uh, he sees the object in the sky, sees people standing outside looking at this thing. 
He decides to go to a neighbor's house to get a better view. Looks like this object's going to land on his dad's property. So he and two young neighbor boys decide they want to go up and see what this thing is. So he stops over at his dad's farm before they went up and towards the pasture, grabs a thirty odd six and a handful of ammunition. In that ammunition, he had two tracer bullets. Um, as they're riding down that farm road, the dogs around the area are carrying on tremendously. They hear these loud baby crying sounds and, the, and this loud kind of whirling noise. And as they get closer and closer to that area of the pasture, the sounds are all getting louder. They angle their vehicle, and uh, they have the headlights on so they can see their path up the hill. They kind of notice that that looks like something's draining the power from the headlights that they had never noticed that before. Anyhow, as they're walking, they get up to the hill and looking across the field, and to their surprise, here's this huge object about 250 feet away on the ground or just above it. And this thing now is not a complete sphere. It's like a half a sphere, like a big white dome, about 100 feet or so in diameter, illuminating the area, making that loud whirling noise. They're just standing there in amazement. They can't believe what they're seeing. And they're studying this thing, but soon their attention is focused on this barbed wire fence about 75 feet away from them. Along the barbed wire fence are these two huge, hair-covered, Bigfoot-type creatures walking in their direction. The one in the front is about eight feet tall. The one behind is a little shorter, about seven feet tall. They're walking very slowly, one behind the other. It's as though when the uh, the first creature moves up to the next uh, fence post, it kind of makes that loud crying sound, and then the and then it moves ahead, and the and then the creature comes behind it to catch up to it. And um, so they're watching these things, and they're, they gave me great detail, the witnesses of what they saw. These things, again, they gave their height, covered long, dark, matted hair hanging off the body. They had no neck. The eyes were large, and they were very bright green, luminous-colored uh, eyes. Uh, there was a, a funny, rotten smell in the air, like burning rubber. And uh, these things are making that crying, whining noise as they're watching them. And, and the one kid is so frightened, he runs out of the field. And then the other young boy starts yelling at the older fellow, shoot at him, shoot at him. And um, he takes his first shot. So when he fires his first shot, it's a tracer bullet. So you just get that luminous stroke. He fired over their head. He fires the second tracer. And that's when things got interesting. Fires that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures reaches out as though they grab that tracer. And when it does, it makes a loud whining baby crying sound. And at the exact, exact moment, that huge luminous object in the field suddenly vanishes and disappears. Now, it doesn't accelerate off the ground to go up into the sky. It's just physically gone. So most of the luminosity is gone, and uh, the, the sound stops, and the creatures turn around, start walking back slowly along the fence line towards the woods. At that point, the, the fellow is firing live ammo from his .30-06 into them. He's been hunting for years and years. He assured me he's sure he hit, especially that larger creature, which he always told me. He never forgot how that thing, he said, he's, he's pumping live ammo into it, and this thing with his glowing green eyes are just staring back at him with no effect on him whatsoever. That's when they uh, ran out of there. They went back to the vehicle. They went back to the house and got the family out of there. They took them uh, to a neighbor to a neighbor house, and they uh, called the state police. And the troop arrived about 45 minutes later. And the witness said, look, just forget about it. And the trooper said, look, I have to investigate and take a report. We had a report of two similar creatures on the mountain the night before. 
I had to investigate the report. So they go up in the troop car, up into the area where the, the incident took place, looking for evidence. And the state trooper told me the area where the object had reportedly been on the ground was self-luminescent glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He told me he noticed the farm animals would not go anywhere near it, that um, he shined his flashlight beam into it, but he could barely see the beam. He told me he thought if he had a newspaper, he could have sat down within that glowing area and read the newspaper from the glow. And um, then more and more things happened during the night. It, it's too long and too involved to get into. It, it's an interesting story. But anyhow, they end up going back to the barracks. I was told both the trooper and the witness were taken to two separate rooms, separately interviewed. Then they called me to sign up my team. And uh, that, of course, was one of the most amazing cases ever documented. If that is the case, that convinced me and some of my skeptical research associates that there was something going on here that was far beyond our understanding of why it was taking place, that there was a lot more now to the Bigfoot and UFO phenomena, and we just surely didn't have the answers. And that was just one of many cases to come down the road that we are not expecting to run into. Because I had always felt that Bigfoot was just some type of unknown primate, and that all these strange reports are coming in from widespread areas. And then you have a case like this. And prior to this case, we had some other strange cases. One was in September north of Pittsburgh, where two witnesses are reported seeing a, a tall, hair-covered Bigfoot with white hair. We get those reports every once in a while, white ones, running across the road towards the woods. But in one of its hands, it had a small, glowing ball of light. And a short time later, an object came across the sky and projected a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. And um, I'm sure we'll be talking about these reports of these small spherical objects low to the ground. I've been investigating them since the 1960s, and now you're hearing more about them. Some people reported them as orbs, but we're having amazing incidents with these things. It now here in this part of Pennsylvania, it's been going on for months and right through the last few days, and uh, it's a very interesting surge of activity, something that I've never experienced before, and we're getting reports from widespread areas, and some of these cases are just amazing. Yeah, actually, let's let's get into that a little bit, because we've covered uh, these kind of um, uh, objects on the podcast. We've actually dedicated an entire episode to um miniature ufos if you want to call them that some that are uh, more physical in nature some that uh, appear to be just uh luminous spherical things very small so um what type of uh activity like like what is the activity like in pennsylvania when it comes to these miniature ufos well, I've had reports for years, and let, let me give a little bit of history on them because it, it's pretty involved, but it's very interesting. Uh, I started hearing these reports back in the 1960s. Over the years, I've talked to many, many people who have had these incidents happen. Here's what I've learned. Some of the smallest ones are about an inch or two in diameter. They look like large, oversized fireflies. But some reports I've had, sometimes they move in swarms, and when they do, they illuminate the whole surrounding area as they're moving. Uh, many of them are about the size of a golf ball or a baseball. And then others quite often are about a foot or two in diameter. They're generally spherical in shape, but not always. Some of them look solid, like solid light sources. Sometimes they're transparent. You can see through them. Uh, in some cases, they look solid and metallic. 
and they're generally spherical, but some cases we have other configurations being reported. Over the years, I had reports of these things very, very low the ground. Actually, some cases were actually on the ground, but most of the time uh, above the ground and sometimes moving within feet of witnesses. I've had incidents where they've followed vehicles. I've had them enter people's homes and cars through open windows. Uh, I've heard some amazing stories, and, and there's been a lot of reports, uh, even in recent months, from widespread areas. We're getting reports from not only wooded areas, but now we're getting reports from even more populated um, housing developments where these things have been uh, appearing as well. So it's really fascinating. One of my research uh, associates, Jim Brown up in Fayette County, you'll hear me talk about Fayette County. We already did. It mm -hmm. continues to be, for whatever reason, a very active area, again, especially along the areas along the Chestnut Ridge for a lot of strange things happening. But April of this year, uh, he got involved in an incident, and uh, this occurred uh, April 6th, and um, it was afternoon. Uh, weather was decent, uh, no rain or anything in the area at the time. And the husband and wife were just outside working in the field when they noticed about 50 feet away this circular object about two feet in diameter um, that was silver in color that was slowly drifting in their direction. The first thought was it must be a mylar balloon. But as it gets closer and closer, it's getting physically brighter they realize it's not a balloon. As it gets quite close to them, uh, it, suddenly, it's, it suddenly explodes. And there's like a small lightning bolt that shot from the, uh, from the explosive to the ground. And that explosive sound was like a small firecracker followed by a snap like a spark. And that spark started a small fire in the field, which the man immediately put out. They also noticed about 100 feet away along the path it had taken, there was another small fire, which they also put out. So Jim, who's a real high-tech guy, got on the scene there within 45 minutes. He's out there interviewing them, searching the area. There is no residue at all. Had, had it been a mile-order balloon that burst, had it been a, a firecracker, there should have been a lot of debris there. There was absolutely nothing. So that was kind of interesting. But um, there have been many, many reports uh, in recent weeks uh, of these things. Again, I, I should tell you that since March of this year, these cases have continued to occur right through the last few days. Uh, some of these cases are really interesting. I'll just give you a few examples. Um, I'm looking at one here at the end of July, early morning. Person's awakened, sees a small, bright blue ball of light about 8, 10 feet away outside the window, bobbing up and down. It's about a foot in diameter. Um, from many different counties, we're getting reports. I'm just going through my files here because there's pages and pages of reports and things going on here. Uh, let me try to get into just some from the last couple of weeks here in October. Okay, so here's one that uh, Jim looked into again uh, outside of Uniontown. This is October 8th, so just recently, uh, around 6 o'clock in the morning, this man awakens, decides he's going to go outside and grab a newspaper to read. It's pretty cold out in the 40s. And he has his robe and slippers on to go out to get the paper. And as he's walking outside, he notices this glowing white ball at eye level, about 10 to 12 inches in diameter, between him and the paper box. Uh, there were certain things he had trouble remembering about it afterwards, but he said this thing was kind of making small circular motions. And he remembers seeing this thing and suddenly getting very, very tired, 
when his wife awakened around 7 o'clock, she was looking for her husband, thinking he was in the house. She finds him sleeping, soundly sleeping on a chair outside on the porch in his pajamas <laughs> in 40-degree weather. She tried to wake him up. He was a heck. She had a heck of a time trying to wake him. He was, he was trying to remember what happened. He remembered bits and pieces of it. But it was really interesting because he had this overcoming feeling of getting very tired because of this next case that happened four days later in another area up in the, up in the Laurel Highlands. So this person's awakened at 2.30 in the morning and gets up to go to the restroom, comes out of the restroom, and about uh, five feet away in the living room, observed his foot-and-a-half-foot diameter gray-blue sphere that's about seven feet above her head because it was a very high old uh, facility, old place, so it was very high ceiling, and this thing was about seven feet above her head, so it's only about five feet away. She remembered that there was like a swirling mass inside of this object moving around. There was no sound coming from it. She remembered taking one step towards it. She felt a tingling sensation, like a pre of electricity from an electric fence. And she said after about 10 seconds, she became extremely tired. And she said, I don't understand this. She said, I don't understand why I did this. I went right in the room and went to bed. And she said, I fell asleep right away. She said, I'm an insomniac. I don't fall asleep. She said, I have no idea why I went to sleep right after that. And when she awakened later that morning, she was very groggy and very sluggish. Um, more and more reports coming in from other areas. People see these things in rural areas behind their yards, low to the ground, uh, even in recent days. It's just really interesting what's going on. And uh, besides that, we're having Bigfoot sightings being reported. We've had Thunderbird sightings in recent months in daylight, these huge flying creatures. We've had Black Panther reports. There's And there's multitudes of UFO cases, many of them in daylight. Some of these reports are just amazing. Um, I can go back and, and give you an example. Just uh, hold on, I'll go into my other file here. Just starting, just to give you an example of some of the cases uh, that started out here early this year and up in um, Armstrong County outside of Pittsburgh, for example, in January 15th, I believe it was. It was a very interesting and busy day. And um, so anyhow, <clears throat> yeah, January 15th, we were having a, a deep freeze. The weather conditions were very, very cold for days and days. There were a lot of water pipes breaking in the area. Three o'clock in the morning, this fellow out in the country uh, was concerned his pipes were going to break. So he's crawling under his house, under this crawl space. And while he's under there, he hears this humming, clicking sound from outside behind him. Next day, his neighbor calls him and said, I want to tell you about something unusual I saw, he said, over my farm uh, about the same time. Of course, he didn't know the guy was working on his uh, water line. He goes on to say that around th uh, around 3.45, he's awakened by something's disturbing his horses on the farm. They're, they're getting all shook up and moving around and disturbed. And he starts gets out of the house, starts walking down towards the barn. He says about 150 feet away at first, he sees some lights appear over the barn. And um, then he sees this object hovering about 20 feet over the top of the barn. He said it looks somewhat teardrop-shaped, about 65 to 70 feet in long, has a smooth silver or metallic look, like a stainless or galvanized steel. It looks solid and smooth. It was making a humming, buzzing noise. There are numerous lights on the surface, approximately eight, to tw eight rows of 20 or 30 lights that would change from red to blue and then back to blue to red. 
and he watched this thing hover for about five minutes. He left his tel- he left his phone and camera phone up in the house. He never with him, unfortunately. And then suddenly the lights went out and everything went dark, and the object is just gone. He said it never accelerated, never took off. It just physically vanished and disappeared right in front of him. So that was all early that morning. And then uh, I believe it was a couple hours later. And I have the whole report in front of me now that. Um, Jim investigated another low-level UFO sighting on the Pennsylvania-West Virginia border that morning, and then a little later that morning, north, northern PI get a report in daylight of a Black Panther encounter. That was just in one day. <laughs> That's the kind of things I'm dealing with. And there is so much activity with low-level UFO sightings. Of, for months, we're getting reports of large silver, white silver, cigar-shaped objects uh, in the sky, uh, many people are telling me the same thing. They're seeing these objects. They are hovering and moving slow and suddenly just vanishing and disappearing. Not accelerating, taking off, just vanishing, and they're gone. So that's another thing that's going on. Also in, see if I have it in this report, in, in mid-July, outside of Pittsburgh, down in what they call the Mon Valley, which are these small communities that parallel along the Monongahela River. By the way, many weird incidents around the river, over the river, and in the river. In fact, I get in some of those cases my new book of the cryptids being reported in the rivers in Pennsylvania, in the lakes in some cases. But anyhow, uh, these two fellows are riding uh, across the bridge near Elizabeth. They see this huge, solid, black triangle object about a hundred, hovering about 150, 200 feet over top of the river. While it's hovering, they can see it moving, pivoting in position. It is so big that... Um, Two of the corner tips of the object extend out to both sides of the river. So this thing is probably around 300 feet in length. Very, very huge object. And then I just got another report about two weeks ago from north of Pittsburgh of another person reporting a a huge, huge black triangle object as well. So this is what's been going on. It's just an example of what's been going on. Is this, uh, you know, is the the activity in 2012 typical of what you normally get in, you know, Pennsylvania regularly year to year? Or is this uh, an unusual, uh, is this all this activity unusual for what you normally deal with? Okay, so we're talking about 2022 now and uh, these cases, uh, current reports, and I do receive reports every year. Every year, all year round, and all kind of weather from the winter time, spring and summer, of course, we always get more reports and more people outside. But I get reports in all type of weather conditions all year round. I can just tell you, all of last year, 2021, very, very steadily busy. Generally, the winter and fall, the remo- reports begin to dwindle, which is normal with the weather conditions that people are not outside as much. Not this past year. The fall and winter months, steadily busy, and in fact, a, a surge of, of activity and low-level UFO reports during the winter. And those cases had discontinued right through, right through the last few days. So I would say, yes, the, the, the small spheres of light, definitely, I've, I've never seen these kind of reports like this. I mean, I've had sporadic reports for years, but what I've heard in recent weeks and months from so many places, so many different people, people calling in telling me they're seeing these things on their game cams and security cameras. Uh, and again, they're widespread areas. I mean, a lot in southwest PA, but are getting reports in other areas. We're getting reports up in the um, 
Pennsylvania, New York border area as well. And um, and some of these areas are are cases where there's a hit, where some of the wood areas are areas where there's a history of Bigfoot activity. And I can tell you, in recent months, um, some of the Bigfoot research has been out there. Some of this has been appearing now in uh, some of the uh, different channels out there. Some of this information has been coming out. Um, some of these fellows who I can tell you I know very well, and I talked about this to them years ago, and I think they were somewhat skeptical of these kind of reports. Well, I think they've changed their mind now because of what they've experienced in recent months themselves, having these little spheres of light come in within feet of them. And uh, this stuff's going on. And, again, it's very interesting, very intriguing. What's happening, why it's happening, I don't think anybody knows. That's the that's the million dollar question at the end of the day is like, why does any of this stuff happen and why, you know, certain areas seem to be hot spots? Um, because uh, it, at least in the last you know, few years, especially with, you know, the release of uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge uh, and, and other, you know, kind of documentaries and podcasts and stuff. Pennsylvania definitely seems to be that kind of hot spot where a lot of things happen. Uh, now, when it comes to other cryptids aside from uh, Bigfoot, you know, you've mentioned, um, you know, Thunderbirds and Black Panthers. What What is the typical, what are the other types of cryptids that you generally have in Pe in Pennsylvania? What types of reports? Well, there's all kinds of things from uh, floating entities. Uh, we had that famous case years ago I investigated, uh, I believe it was 2011, up in uh, Butler County, which they now call the uh, the Butler Gargoyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was always an intriguing case. And, um, yeah, I looked into that one, and that happened. Um, that was um, between, uh, I'm trying to think, East Brady and Shakur up in uh, Butler County. But Butler County, I mean, since the 1960s, has had a lot of reports of a lot of things up there being seen from, from Bigfoot sightings to UFO history, uh, UFO landing case we investigated years ago up there that was really intriguing. And uh, but now I'll tell you about this particular case. Uh, I I got to know the witness very well. He's a very professional person. Um, he was riding early that morning uh, down a rural road when he noticed something to the right of him crouched down. He thought at first it was a deer, but as he gets close, he puts his high beams on. This thing suddenly stands up. It was hunched down. Takes three big steps uh, in front of him. Uh, pass a, a big sign and across him into the woods. And uh, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, I, I hear people talking about seeing Bigfoot. He said, this thing was not a Bigfoot. He said, this thing's at least eight foot tall, but it's covered with smooth, leather-like skin, uh, kind of either a darker tan or light brown color. And the head appeared to be flat on the front section, rounded out kind of like an aerodynamic helmet. The face was flat. The eyes were not clearly defined, but he thought they may have been more pointed in the corners. The arms were muscular and a little longer than that of a human. It had had claws on its hands. He said the one thing that really stood out was the extremely muscular legs. And he said they did not move like that of a human. They looked like they bent backwards. But he said what also was unusual was it appeared to have wings on its back, which were tucked into its body with the wingtips extending towards the side of the head. And interestingly, there's a group out there called BORU, but the organization Research the Unexplained, run by Dan Hagman, 
And within days, they had several different reports from different people in that area reporting seeing the same thing. So that's a, that's a really intriguing case. There's, we hear many, many strange cryptid reports. And probably one of the strangest series of reports uh, took place um, back in, I believe it was the fall, yeah, in around August of 2017. And uh, this actually came to me from a police officer who had observed this. And he said he had never experienced anything like this in his life. I, I would say it's here in western Pennsylvania. Uh, he was on patrol in a rural area that he commonly patrolled. And um, as he's driving along that area that night, he sees ahead of him on the road what appears to be a, a dull, very white ball of light low to the ground or on the ground. And he stops his vehicle because he thought, I've never seen artificial lighting like that before in the area. So as he's watching, suddenly this ball of light, and this is not like the balls of light we were just talking about previously, suddenly this ball of light rises up from the ground, and he realized that this is the head of a very strange-looking being about six feet or taller. It's tall and almost skeletal thin, and uh, he believed it was lying on its belly on the ground with its head facing the road when he saw it. Then it stood up facing the road, and then he saw the dull light from that glowing head illuminating the upper section of the body. And he watched it turn, and then he said this thing moved the most incredible speed he had ever seen. And he said he couldn't see the, the lower part of the body when it took off, but he said, he said, I'll call it abnormal. He said, it was fascinating I've ever seen before. It was there, and then it was gone. Interestingly, that's almost the same wording that some Bigfoot witnesses have told me, where a Bigfoot would suddenly just appear out of nowhere. They see it for a short time, and then it's just gone. And that's another part of the story. But anyhow, he said this thing was at least six foot tall, and it was about eight to ten inches in diameter, so like a ball, but may have been a little more egg-shaped. Um, the light illuminated the shoulders, the top of the chest, and the, and the section of the arms. Could not see the hands. The chest looked about 18 inches across, and the waist appeared to be small. The arms were unusually long. The long, look, long limbs looked skeletal with no muscle mass. The skin tone appeared to be a dull grayish-blue he couldn't see any facial details. So that was interesting. Within weeks, other reports were coming in from widespread areas of other people who were seeing something similar. But I believe it was the fall of the next year, and this would have been, I'm guessing, top of my head, maybe 30 miles away from that location. Another fellow told me his story. So he lived deep in the woods. His house in the woods, he knew deer. He lived with deer. He was um, up there to eat one evening when... Um, all of a sudden, he began to hear this unusual bipedal walking. He knew it wasn't a deer. It didn't sound right. And he had decided to get down to his house. So he was sitting there in the kitchen at the dining room table. Dining room table is about 10 feet away from the back door that has no curtains on it. It's just a, a big open glass door. And he is just shocked to see this skeletal, maybe at least seven-foot-tall skeletal, thin-looking, sickly-looking, hairless. In both cases, they were hairless. The policeman's too, a hairless creature. This thing was hairless, crouched down with glowing yellow eyes, staring at him. And he turned around for a second. When he turned back, the thing was scampering around, and all four scampering around the side of the house and back up into the woods. Those are the kind of things that were on for, for weeks and weeks. We were hearing different reports from different areas. And in more recent years, I understand there are similar cases coming in from around the country. Wow. Uh, I don't even know how to react to that because I'd be terrified. I That's just 
that's some that's not the normal typical stuff you you expect to hear when you you know you're talking about like these types of reports so it's just like uh yeah i don't i don't i don't even know how to process that at this point <laughs> i don't know if you had a chance to look at my my new book the creepy crypt this book but a lot of these stories are in the new book and there are incidents in here and there are cases in there that most people have never heard of before that that's the whole point you know you have all you have so many strange creature reports coming in and the people see them are very reluctant to talk about it. That's why you don't hear on the news because these people don't want any publicity. I've been I deal with people like this all the time, year after year, from all walks of life, men, women, children, you know, from educators, police officers, pilots, uh, hunters, outdoorsmen, all kind of people see these things. And so many of them never believe these stories, would never believe these things actually existed till they had their own experiences. And some of these people I've been in touch with for years. And it was a life-changing event for them. Some of these people didn't even want to think about it anymore. They wouldn't want to try to forget it. Some hunters told me that years and years out in the woods, they'd never go back in the woods again. So each person reacts differently uh, to these type of reports. And uh, But, yeah, the point, again, is you've got all these different creature reports. You can't possibly have so many type of unknown creatures. At the same time, you've got so many credible people telling you similar details. There's patterns to it. You can't ignore the reports. Whatever we're dealing with, it's, I, I believe it's far beyond our present scientific understanding. I don't think anybody understands it. Uh, for Again, for lack of a better term, I'll call it interdimensional, that under certain conditions these things come and go in and out of our reality. Sometimes they leave physical evidence. And uh, it's just amazing, these kind of reports. And again, a lot of these sightings are going on are in daylight. You know, a lot of people, they watch these TV shows and they think, we only see a Bigfoot at night. You've got to take night vision out to see a Bigfoot. And so many of the reports we have, these things are being seen in daylight at very close range. So back to the Chestnut Ridge. Chestnut Ridge, I've been investigating up there since the 1960s. It's probably one of the most active areas in the country. Uh, but it's not one particular area. The ridge is about 100 miles long. It goes through Westmoreland, Fayette, and Indiana County here in southwest PA, extends down outside of Morgantown, West Virginia, a few miles. And there are places all along the ridge that have been sightings. But here in PA, the, uh, the Westmoreland and Fayette County side are very, very active year after year, including this year. So this past Mother's Day afternoon, up on the dairy side of the ridge, which is very active for whatever reason along that part, a woman taking a walk that day, a beautiful day, and uh, she's walking the dog, and suddenly this eight-foot-tall Bigfoot comes out of the woods. I believe it was around 30, 40 feet away from her, never looked at her. She saw it from head to toe. One thing she commented to me was she said, I'd never seen one before. She said, I had always thought that Bigfoot would be very broad-shouldered, very, uh, very stout. And she said, this thing wasn't. It was very tall, but it was very thin. So, yeah, we got a lot of reports of Bigfoot, a lot of similar descriptions. Some are, you know, six to nine feet tall. Some are very broad-shouldered, very muscular, but some are taller and thinner. Some are smaller and more muscular. Then we have reports of some are, uh, the smaller creatures, about four to five feet tall. And whatever they are, they seem to be interested in human activity. I've interviewed hundreds of people who have seen them. And everybody tells me that if these things wanted to hurt them, they could have done it. Uh, they seem curious at times. Sometimes they'll approach fairly close, and when they're seen, they'll move off. Uh, 
there have been cases where they have thrown some pretty good-sized rocks or small boulders or uh, tree branches towards people but never hitting them. Uh, is this to scare them away? Uh, we've had those kind of reports as well. But, um, yeah, there, there is so ma- there's so much involved, and I've learned a lot about Bigfoot over the years that strongly indicates, as reluctant as I am to say it, that there's a lot more to Bigfoot than just an unknown animal. There's more and more data suggests we're dealing with something that's not flesh and blood. It's here and it's gone. And you may know about that really incredible case I worked on up in Fayette County in 1974, uh, the shooting incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like, I'll be glad to tell you about it. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Okay, so this was the case among others, but this particular case is the one that convinced me that we're dealing with something that's much stranger than an unknown animal. And I remember this case very well, too. It was February 6, 1974. Some of your listeners will remember the time period. There was a big national trucker strike going on around the country. A lot of people remember the fact that there was gas rationing going on. That's what people remember. So I couldn't get gas where I lived to get up to the scene early the next morning. Um, because there was some violence on the highways around the country, here in Pennsylvania, the state police and the National Guard were patrolling together. In this particular case, you had members of both teams that responded to this incident. Um, that evening, deep up in the mountains, this woman lived in this little cabin home. She was sitting there watching TV as normal. She began to hear uh, the commotion on her little front porch. She had some empty soda cans out there. Somebody was knocking the soda cans around. Well, previous to, to the week or two before, a few weeks before, a pack of wild dogs had come through. So she thought, I bet you those dogs are back. I'll just grab my 16-gauge double-barrel shotgun. I'll load one chamber, and I'll fire overhead, and I'll shoot those, I'll scare those dogs away. So she decides to do that. She uh, loads one chamber. She walks up to the front of the door. She turns on the switch, opens up the door, switches on the light, steps out. And uh, there's no dogs there, but uh, about six feet in front of her, here's a seven-foot-tall, hair-gray-colored, gray-hair-covered Bigfoot standing right there in front of her, puts his arms straight up over his head when she turns the light on. And how does she respond? She pulls the trigger and shoots right into it. So there's this bright flash of light, like the flash on a camera. And that creature physically vanishes and disappears right in front of her. But here's what's interesting. Her in-laws lived 100 feet away. They hear the gunshot. They call her and ask her what she's shooting at. She tells them. The son-in-law grabs a sidearm, starts walking down that road, that dark road towards her cabin, sees a figure running down the road. As he gets closer, he's surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, starts shooting at them randomly. Uh, soon runs into the home, and around that time, there's a large luminous object hovering over the woods at the same time. That's when they called the state police. And I talked to the primary investigator who had gone up to the scene. He said it took him quite a while to find a place way up in the mountains. He said by the time they got there, all the, all the strange activity pretty much was gone. But he said the witnesses were very shaken. They were very honest individuals. But he said something very strange happened up there that he based on the animal reaction. So they had various farm animals up there. They had several big dogs, and he said when they got there, those dogs wouldn't bark. They wouldn't make a sound. And I remember him telling me, I think it may have been Eskimo Spitz, and uh, it was in a cage, and he tried to pull the dog out, and the dog wouldn't move or wouldn't bark. 
and uh, the other animals reacting unusual as well. <clears throat> and uh, anyhow, when I got up to the scene the next morning, everything was back to normal. All the dogs were barking as normal. That was the case that convinced me we're dealing with something very unusual. I tend to wonder, and 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 I know this is probably it, it's a difficult question, and it's it's not one that's going to uh, provide uh, for an easy answer. But what do you think makes the the chestnut ridge so appealing to this type of phenomenon? What is it that draws them there, or uh, you know? How, why is it that they appear there? I mean, that's a tough question, but what are your thoughts on that? And we've looked into that for years and tried to figure it out, and we just can't come up with it. Mm. Uh, with the one pattern I found many, many years ago, which is still occurring, many close-range, low-level UFO sightings, encounters with these large, solid objects, and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So you've got many reports around uh, radio and cell phone towers, around high-tension power lines, power plants, gas lines, gas wells, bodies of water, um, railroad tracks. There's no doubt there's an energy connection to it. And um, there's a lot of strange aspects with a Bigfoot cases, uh, electromagnetic effects. You know, back, excuse me, in the 50s, 60s, you see a lot of low-level UFO encounters where these objects would hover over vehicles and the vehicles would lose power or the headlights would dim, the object would take off, and the power would come back on. Very few people have ever heard the fact that similar incidents have occurred with Bigfoot. We have a Bigfoot that walks out near a vehicle, and the vehicle loses power. The further they get away from the creature, the faster the power comes back on. That's just one one of the stranger um developments i've found for years and years uh with some of the bigfoot sightings and and it's interesting you say that because there was a case that we covered uh a couple of weeks ago let me find it um i think it was the is a case from 1960 of a guy named doc Priestley, who was in the monongahela forest traveling and he recalled that um his car had stalled um, at one point, he was following friends in a bus, and on the side of the road, there was a Bigfoot-type creature, and what he noticed is that it was holding up its hair. And then when it put down its hair, his car started again. So like, it, that's interesting that we're seeing those kind of connections there, too, in, in Pennsylvania and in other cases, because it, it, you know it's just one freak case that I think um, Jerry Clark wrote about in, in, in an article that I found. But like, it's interesting... To, to hear you say that, because uh, that is, you know, it is a pretty fascinating element to the Bigfoot story, like these Bigfoot cases, because, you know, there are those folks who like their flesh and blood Bigfoot, you know, researchers and stuff, and they scoff at, at reports like this. So, um, you know, your work has been has has shed a lot of light on that, especially, you know, with the stuff from, you know, 72 and 73 that you covered in, in Silent Invasion, which is a phenomenal book that everybody should go pick up because it's it's full of endless cases of, you know, Bigfoots in vicinity of the UFO cases like, uh, you know, in particular, uh, it seemed like there was um, in, in 1972 specifically, there was 
like series of you know like ufo sightings followed by bigfoot sightings uh i was just wondering if you could get into that a little bit well yeah i I first noticed this in 1972 actually and um there was an area actually not far from away from where i live out in a rural area the wooded area that hadn't had not had any history of any oddities and then all of a sudden I started getting these independent calls from various landowners in that same area who were reporting strange screams in the house coming from the woods, hearing something heavy bipedal walking. There was a report of a of a broad-shouldered creature chasing dogs, strange footprints showing up around the people's homes, UFO sightings, and these small little tiny spheres of light in the bushes low near people's homes. That's when I first started knowing, uh, hearing about these strange things that years later would sound similar to what you hear about the Skinwalker Ranch. And then 1973 comes around, and that's when all these strange cases begin to happen with that massive UFO Bigfoot wave and so many unusual things. Um, you know, you, you talked about that incident a few minutes ago with the ele- electromagnetic uh, case, possibly with the Bigfoot and the power loss in the vehicle. And mm-hmm. there, there's other things like that, too. I remember one case where. Uh, some fellas would shine their flashlight beam on the Bigfoot nearby. Every time the beam would hit the creature, it would physically vanish. When they when they took the beam of light off, it would reappear. They hit the, with the beam of light again, and it would disappear again. Uh, that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many incidents. Again, I told you about cases where people would see the creature, and then it suddenly would just vanish and reappear somewhere else nearby. Uh, we've had incidents where people say it, it was just like watching a movie where these, this creature looked physically solid, would suddenly appear right in front of their vehicle. They see it from head to toe, and suddenly it's gone. Uh, we have other incidents where quite often the bodies look physically solid, but in some cases they're more uh, foggy or misty looking, or sometimes part of the body is out of focus, while other part of the body is solid. There are so many strange developments and so many strange aspects of whatever it is we're dealing with. And and one incident, and I may or may not have told you this when we started the show, but you know I've been doing this now for almost sixty three years. Mm-hmm. I've never pers- I've never seen a Bigfoot or UFO myself. I've seen a lot of evidence, but I've never had my own encounter. But I was involved in a few cases where. Uh, I, th- I think I was very I was very close to a Bigfoot in at least one case in 1973 out in Derry Township on a farm where the thing reportedly kept coming back. And um, we had gotten a call that had just been on the property, so we hurried back out to that farm, and we got there. Dogs wouldn't bark or make sound. There's footprints in the barnyard, and they had a big cornfield in the dark, and there was something bipedal, very heavy, already running through the cornfield, making this loud almost asthmatic, like loud breathing sound, and we chased it through the cornfield. I could never catch up to it. I recorded the sounds, whatever it was, we couldn't catch up to it. I think it was a Bigfoot. And and the people on the farm, I remember one person, one of the owners said, they had seen this thing several times. Other people had seen it there, and they said, this night might just be a coincidence, they said, but anytime we hear that thing scream or we see it, within minutes later, we see this strange lighted object, this UFO moving over top of the ground, illuminating the ground below. That's one of the early things that somebody had mentioned to us, as all these things are breaking out in different areas. And um, one of the strangest things 
that I remember being involved with years later. And this is something you rarely hear about in Pennsylvania, but you hear more about it on the western part of the country for whatever reason, that some Bigfoot witnesses claim to have had some type of telepathic communication with these creatures. I've had only maybe a handful of these reports, and the people who told me these things were extremely reluctant to talk about it. I don't, I don't think any of these people that I can recall uh, had any history or fascination with Bigfoot until things began to happen with them. But here's what happened. Uh, during, during the 1980s, out along the Chestnut Ridge, families out there were calling me that this creature was coming down from the top of the mountain, coming down close to their property and scaring their animals. So I went out there with a team to interview some of these people. One of those people in the group that were there said that they believed this thing was mentally trying to communicate with them on more than one occasion. While we were there, while I was there, this person said, this Bigfoot is communicating to me now that tomorrow morning, the next morning, in Indiana County, about 15 miles away, over this little town, that there would be a UFO incident. And early the next morning, there's this very strange sound being reported by multiple people over that town. It was so unusual, they called the fire department out, and it was in the news. That's that's wild like because i you know we uh i i covered um because quani lapsaritas uh talked about some some of these kind of cases in which bigfoot telepathically communicated with um witnesses and you know there was one case in which a a woman had a, a her cat in a carrier on her porch and this bigfoot approached her asked her why it had the cat and the carrier and stuff. And it's an interesting story, but like that, that that's endlessly, it's fascinating to me that, um, you know, there, there are those kind of cases out there that, uh, you know, like Bigfoot's telling you that, that UFO sightings are going to happen. That's, that's just amazing. You know, um, it's um, like a, a, a lot of these stories are beyond like, what you with the kind of uh perception that you know bigfoot ufos have in the media these days like um why do you think in a way that the public image of ufos has kind of regressed from um you know a, like a more broader kind of view of this phenomenon to like purely like military encounters like these are the things that are being focused on why do why do you think that is um okay and, and i missed a little bit of what you're saying i'm sorry i kind of fade out for a second on the oh. phone here but yeah. I, I think you're are you talking about some of the more recent reports we're hearing with the new government project and the fact of focusing on yeah. military cases yeah why do you think there's such a focus in the united states on on these military cases as opposed to like these other high strangeness cases yeah, I, it's, I think it's a very complicated story. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, – I questioned this myself when this was coming up because they're focusing on incidents. And, again, I think they're focusing on the fact that you have trained personnel. They're seeing things in the sky that they cannot easily explain away. And at least they're opening the door to the fact there's something out there that we don't know what they are. Uh, personally, I've said this years and years ago. I believe the government knows a lot more about the UFO subject than telling the public, but they do not have the answers themselves. It is a worldwide phenomena. 
Nobody's in control of what's happening. I think it's very likely that they're aware that there are things going on with both the UFO and Bigfoot field, similar to what I've uncovered over the years and others, that we're dealing with something that is far beyond our present scientific understanding. And again, I, I said long ago, I think it's very likely there's more than one origin to the unknown category of the UFO mystery. Maybe a small percentage might be extraterrestrial, but I think more and more, whatever we're dealing with, again, it has a physical and a non-physical component to it. So I'll just give you an example. In many UFO cases, and again, the military's talked about some similar events. One, uh, these incidents occur, yes, there's a lot of sightings in the sky, but I have, I've had many reports over the years of these objects going in and out of the rivers and lakes of Pennsylvania. So they also have an interest in bodies of water. And, of course, we talked about the energy connection, many sightings around high-tension power lines and all. But um, I've also investigated multitudes of cases of large structured objects low the ground. And these are cases that I don't think anybody who has an open mind that looks into details can find an explanation for. Now, and I'll give you some examples later if you're interested in that. But here's the thing. There are many cases I have of large solid objects in the sky that in some cases begin to slowly fade away and vanish and disappear. Or in some cases, these objects, while people are watching, they physically change from one form into another. And there's many cases, even in recent months, again, of these large cigar-shaped objects, elliptical objects, government may want to call them Tic Tacs. Some people said they look more like a, a Tic Tac or a Peel. But these objects are just there in a beautiful, clear sky, and they suddenly vanish and they're gone. And uh, so we have many cases like this as well. And, again, what we're talking about tonight, we're, we're just barely touching on this. There are so many correlations I found and similarities with some of the Bigfoot, some of the cryptids, the UFO phenomena, the balls of light, the paranormal stuff. The more you look into this, the more it seems likely that a lot of these various anomalies May, house, may somehow be interconnected. Uh, and again, I don't know what it's all about. I don't think anybody knows what it's all about. It's so strange. I said years and years ago, the phenomenon is so strange it protects itself. That's that's an interesting statement. And, and it's something that I've never even considered before, that it does protect itself, but it makes a lot of sense because um, even if, you know, like all of these things manifesting and, and, and appearing, they're all varied. They're all different. They're all connected in some way, but they are not easily connected. But like that idea that it cloaks itself very well is, is a very, you know, intriguing aspect to this entire, um, you know, phenomenon. But um, uh, your latest book, Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania. Um, you, you've talked a little bit about what uh, can be found in it, but uh, I'm curious what other what are some other things that are that uh, you feature in the book? Oh boy! Well, again, we talk about some of the strange um, creatures that are being seen in mm. in the in the water areas uh, that are very unusual. Um, the Black Panther cases, some of them are very very strange and. You know, when you talk about black panthers, you know, a lot of people here in Pennsylvania talk about seeing mountain lions or cougars or panthers. Well, we all know those animals exist. There's nothing mm -hmm. that strange about it. I mean, officially, they've been uh, extirpated here in Pennsylvania for many, many years. The thing is, people see them year after year. 
There are very good videos taken of them. Uh, back in the 80s, the police were calling my teams up to Armstrong County where they are having a, a lot of mountain lion sightings. We found the trail of tracks. Uh, now there's actually a, a good picture of one of the uh, cast of the paw prints uh, in the Creepy Cryptos book. It, it is without a doubt a, a mountain lion track. They are very, very clear and well-defined, and there are certain details of the track that will let you know that's what they are. And um, so that's not a mystery at all. The, the mountain lions, I, I agree with the Game Commission. There are a lot of misidentifications, but I think there are some very credible people who have seen what they believe to be mountain lions out there. That's one story. The Black Panthers, much stranger. And um, there's some really interesting cases over the years. They've been seeing Black Panthers, not only in Pennsylvania, but other parts of the country and around the world where they aren't supposed to exist. Because when we think of Black Panther, we're talking about black leopards, black jaguars, not common this part of the world. Many people have seen them, including this year in daylight. Many of them were pretty close-range observations. Um, some of these people who saw them said they have no doubt in their mind what they saw as an animal that belonged in the zoo. Whatever they are, they don't seem to bother anybody. Uh, what I found years ago is that, and you know, again, you can have an encounter with a Bigfoot, a cryptid, almost anywhere, being in the right place at the right time. But then again, you've got these specific areas. So there's some areas along the ridge, but other places as well. There's a new area right now, very active, that researchers here calling Area X here in Fayette County, where a lot of strange things have been going on, uh, and it's under investigation. There's some very good footage now of the small spheres of light uh, low to the ground coming towards researchers. Bigfoot activity there, other phenomena going on. Um, I'm sure you'll hear more about it in the future. But um, anyhow, in some of these areas for, where for years there's all these ongoing cryptid cases, sometimes when you have an outbreak of Bigfoot sightings, you'll have, you'll have an outbreak of another cryptid, quite often Black Panthers. And um, so that's interesting itself. What some people have never heard is over the years there are cases around the country where people have reported seeing a Bigfoot accompanying another cryptid. So you have two different kind of cryptids being together at the same time. A lot of people never heard of that. It's not that common. But um, it's fascinating stuff. Oh, but here's what I wanted to tell you. Here was the case I investigated back in 1983 that once again gave me that clue that some of these Black Panther reports are of a something again that is not a normal physical animal or something else. If you'd like, I'll tell you the story. Yeah, please, please do. So this occurred in the wintertime, February of 83, up in the mountains. Man uh, comes home from his friend's house around 1 o'clock in the morning. His car is overheating. Pulls the car in the driveway, goes in the garage, gets a can of antifreeze. Putting the antifreeze in the car. A couple of minutes later, he hears this loud growl. Turns around to look about 20 feet away. There's this large black house cat sitting there looking at him, growling. And um, didn't think much of it because he's out in the country and there's cats around there. Goes back to putting more antifreeze in the car. A few minutes later, here's a louder growl. Turns around to look and he's startled because that big house cat has now physically grown to twice its size it was a few minutes before. So he throws that they throws that empty uh, can at it, and he hits it, and it makes a loud growl. It gets real fierce, and it turns around. It turns walking out uh, the door up the road. So this guy runs into the garage to, to grab his pistol. When he comes back out a few minutes later, he looks outside, and now 
that large cat that doubled its size. Now it's as big as he said of, of a black panther like you see in the zoo with a very long tail, shiny black, and has glowing yellow eyes staring at him and growling at him. He took a shot at it. He wasn't sure if he hit it, but a few seconds later, it physically vanished and disappeared right in front of him. Wow. I, like, the, stra- the, the strangeness aspect of all of that is just... And I mean, like, this is this is in the middle of winter. This isn't like, uh, you know, it, uh, like it, it doesn't seem feasible for large cats to be, you know, seen in winter. So like but but even then, like the this cat chain, like I I'm at a loss for words on that. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is the kind of thing I deal with quite often. I yeah. deal with so many strange cases and. We can't even begin to imagine how many of these cases are going on we never hear about. I mean, a lot of the cases I've heard about in, in recent weeks, I mean, a lot of these are recent cases, some are from several years ago. I had a woman contact me about two weeks ago, and she said, she said I, I knew about you, I wanted to call you, but I was reluctant to tell you or anybody. She said, until I heard, heard one of my interviews talk about a white Bigfoot, and uh, she calls me. And, she, and where she calls me and tells me this thing occurred, this uh, occurred only a, a short distance from where I lived, but about three years ago. It was, um, I believe it was in the fall. She was walking her dog one morning. It was a nice morning, walking, um, not that far. I mean, this was more of a populated area, but along a wood line, when this eight-foot-tall, huge, white Bigfoot came out of the woods, said her dog just stopped. The hair went up on its body, had its tail between its legs. It wouldn't make a sound. She said for at least about 10 seconds, they just stood there and made eye contact with each other, and it turned around and walked back into the woods. But those are the kind of things that are going on. We can't even imagine how many of these cases are taking place. Yeah, and like even even hearing you tell these stories, there's like interesting connections because it seems like, you know, there's a fair amount of dog walkers that seem to attract cryptids and stuff to them so that's interesting you know and 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 stuff like that but like yeah you tend to wonder for the stuff that you do here how much don't you hear how much doesn't get reported and how much just kind of you know falls by the wayside and and nobody knows anything about um uh stan i i can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast telling all these amazing stories and, and and such um where can people keep up with all of the stuff that, you know, all your investigations and, and everything that you have going on? Where's the best place to send people for that? Okay, well, they can visit my website, which is Stan Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N dot info, I-N-F-O, Stan Gordon dot info. Uh, they can actually call me still. My contact information is on the website, my phone number. The best email to reach me is at P-A-U-F-O at Comcast dot net. Uh, my books, uh, my new book, Creepy Crypt and Strange uh, UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, or um, Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania, it's, it's subtitled Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, Mysteries of Chestnut Ridge, and more. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com. Some of my other books, um, they want to go and, and really get into detail about the strange incidents of the 70s with Bigfoot and UFOs and the mystery men that showed up and all the weird things that we didn't talk about. Uh, that's in the book Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook. And then my other books is Really Mysterious Pennsylvania and Astonishing Encounters Pennsylvania's Unknown Creatures, 
They're all completely different, and there's many, many startling cases, especially in the new book. There's there's one case that actually creeped me out in the Creepy Cryptus book. And uh, But anyhow, that's the best way to reach me. They can keep checking my website for updates. Um, I'm just finishing up my lecture tour for this year, but I'm already being booked for many events for next year, and hopefully we'll be able to do those. So they can keep checking my website for update information and reports. And anybody, especially in Pennsylvania, if you've seen anything you'd like to talk about your experience, uh, you can reach out, reach out to me. I'll be glad to talk with you. Absolutely. And I, I encourage anybody in, in Pennsylvania that, that anything strange like uh, stands kind of a, a rarity these days because uh, you can generally, yeah, you could report your sighting to MUFON and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, but like sometimes it's nice to really, you know, talk to a, an old school vetted investigator and that's what you are. And, and, and again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a uh, fun evening. Thank you. Special thanks once again to Stan Gordon for taking time out of his. He had a really busy schedule and we really had to, uh, you know, fit this in. So special thanks to him for coming on the podcast, talking about all of these fantastic cases that he's been working on for a long time. Um, and if you want to know more, stangordon.info to keep up with all the cases that he's got going on all his books you know documentaries that he's made and, and such stangordon.info again as for us at the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps uh and if you want to follow along on social media buy some merch uh we got some pretty sweet merch and um the link for our patreon page head on over to ourstrangeskies.com where you can find links to all of that. And I, I love to plug the resource page that we have over there because it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's a resource page for anybody who wants, you know, mostly free digital resources. I think the only ones that you have to pay for are uh, through a subscription to Scribd. But uh, a lot of the UFO journals that I use for this episode have been digitized. They are available online. Go check out that resource page on OurStrangeSkies.com. It's just full of a lot of great stuff, and you can get lost for a while just, you know, reading through uh, a lot of that information. Uh, I want to remind you all again about Welcome UFO People, the uh, webcomic that I'm doing with Todd Purse. Uh, it, I love it so much. You know, we've, I, we've got uh, a couple of them out now. We're doing them once a month because we're just so busy with the projects that we have going on. Todd's uh, a really busy guy. He makes art every day. So uh, we're putting them out once a month. You can follow along on Twitter at Welcome UFO Peeps and over on Instagram at Welcome UFO People. You have, there are standard um, sized uh, images of those web comics there. We have high res images available on both our Patreon pages. So if you uh, join up for $3 a month, you get high res images of these web comics. Uh, we've done the Paulo Satano Silvera case, which has like one of the most iconic images that I've ever seen in any UFO case of Paulo Satano standing inside a room and there's a beam of light coming down on him and above his head 
is this plank and on this plank is a short humanoid that's walking across and the way that Todd reproduced it is so fantastic. And and the way that Todd like makes his art, he puts a, a positive spin on things because that's the way Todd is and he finds, you know, that magic in the everyday. So uh, please go check out Welcome UFO People on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be available in the show notes for you to go follow that. Our Strange Skies is a proud member of the Duvid Media family. Uh, they have done so much for this podcast. I can't thank them enough, uh, especially Spencer Work Davis, who is the man behind the curtain uh, when it comes to this show. He has done so much to um, you know, expand uh, what we've been doing and, and get us uh you know in front of more ears so you know special thanks to him special thanks to floats for the use of their song ufo as the theme for this podcast uh if you haven't checked out his stuff seriously go do it uh not an album which is what uh which is where this song comes from is a fantastic album even though it's it's not an album but uh uh special yeah shout out to mark there because uh he uh i just reached out to him on instagram one day and he's like hell yeah man go ahead use it so um you know shout out to him and it totally captures the vibe of this podcast uh Special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for making the dopest logo that I could have ever asked for. And uh, it's still a joy to, you know, look at uh, even today and to the great Desdemona, who who has done so much work. Um, She was in charge of our website uh, before uh, we brought it back and she did a lot of our logos and stuff. So shout out to her. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or standing at the edge of your driveway, transforming into a giant cat and growling at you in gray. We trust and shout out to those who reached out to tell me that a hydro man is, in fact, uh, an electrical line uh, person and not, you know, a water line person. Uh, it, the hydro refers to hydroelectric power. And, and uh, I had no idea. So thank you all for reaching out to uh, talk about that and tell me about that. I, I appreciate that so much. Yeah.